don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And today we take you back to the world of UFOs. Yeah. But we take you back to the desert. After we had already signed up for our Arkansas adventure, we saw there is a local UFO conference called Contact, Contact in, in the, the desert. desert. And we were like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> this is so much closer. We've already got tickets for Arkansas. But I think it was good that we went to both because oh, yeah. we saw that there was going to be a lot of big names in ufology and very little overlap with the people that we were going to see in Arkansas. And if we hadn't gone to Arkansas, we wouldn't know about owls. There was nary a hint of the owls at this conference. Except for them being ubiquitous in our culture and so being all over the merch. <laughs> right. Uh, but now we know to look for them thanks to our experience in Arkansas. So yeah, I was really excited for both conferences because in Arkansas we got to see Stanton Friedman, Travis Walton. Linda Moulton Howe, Linda Moulton Howe. She is the tie that binds. Oh boy, I love her so much. She was going to be at Contact in the Desert as well. As was Kathleen Martin. We took off one Thursday late night. Uh, had an Airbnb in the desert in Yucca Valley, California. Which is just a couple miles off of Joshua Tree. And Joshua Tree we had been to before because we went to the Integratron there. Yes, in the Joshua Tree National Forest. And I looked up places to stay in Joshua Tree for us through our favorite means, Airbnb. And, Man, that's the way to go. They're then, not paying us. I just like Airbnb. Right, right. The cheapest thing I could find was an RV parked in a man's driveway. And mm-hmm. we were like, absolutely. I, I remember you sent this. me the link. I was like, are you serious? Is this a joke? <laughs> All right, sure. <laughs> yeah. It was delightful. We had a great time in that RV. Well, first we pulled up to the wrong house. <laughs> yeah. So it was really dark and he had told us that it was a bright yellow house and we pulled up to a yellow house. Yeah, they were all yellow of one shade or another, but in the dark you couldn't tell. And so and everyone there has an RV in their driveway. <laughs> so we pulled up behind this one RV. It was very tiny. We're like, this can't be it. <laughs> this is it? Well, let's definitely just open the door and see. <laughs> so we walk into this RV and, and there's like, junk on uh, the, the floor of it. Odds and ends. Odds and ends, Bulky yeah. objects. And, and we're like, wait, is this it? <laughs> I don't know. We're not even just in the driveway. We're like behind a gate. And oh, we're totally like trespassing and probably yeah. creeping out and the people in realize, the house. And then we realize, oh my God, this isn't the house. Oh my God, run. <laughs> <laughs> so then we got in the car and, and drove to the very next, <laughs> very next property, house. which is where our trailer which was. Which is also a yellow house with an RV. Uh-huh. So like maybe those aren't the best directions in the world. Classy bunch, us. Yeah. Anyway, that was the right one. <laughs> so the next morning, bright and early, we headed over to the Institute of Mental Physics. Now you might be thinking, oh, metaphysics? No, mental physics. Common mistake. Yes. Mental physics. And that's where they were hosting the Contact in the Desert conference Yep. for this year of 2017. So Contact in the Desert has not been around as long as the Ozark Mountain UFO conference. That's in its 30th year. Mm-hmm. This is in its fifth year. So just getting off the ground. But <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? No. Oh, the visitors gave it to you. It was a download. Exactly. But people are really excited about this conference. When we told people in Arkansas that we were going to be at this conference, they were so jealous. They knew about it. They wanted to be there. Like, oh, you get to be in California for this. Really, I don't think I noticed very many people that I had seen at that other conference. I can't really think of anyone that stood out to me. Me neither. No one that I knew. I mean, other than the couple of speakers we mentioned, obviously. Right. So every day the talk started earlier and earlier. So the first day we got yeah, there... what's with that? Earlier and earlier. You know, they acclimate you, I guess. So Ugh. get more dedicated. No thanks. No acclimation on. for Carrie. <laughs> so we arrived around nine for the first talk, but we had to register and we had to park and there's this labyrinthine parking structure. It's crazy, but you're... <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's, and there's no arrows for where to park. Nope. Just occasionally a random volunteer making a circular motion with their arms like, eh, go maybe sort of over here. Became sort of a joke to us. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, just yeah. park wherever the hell we want. So you've seen a desert. That's where we were. And mm-hmm. there are definitely a bunch of Joshua trees everywhere and cacti, a lot of sand. And so we're driving out across the sand. And the parking lot is like this choose your own adventure thing. <laughs> 
where you turn left or right and you're just not sure there's a bunch of cars to the left and a bunch of cars to the right so you turn left and then oh you're in a weird little cul-de-sac and it's all filled with cars you try to turn around you get back and you go up the next branch and now there's two more branches and you go off to the left again and this time now it branches twice and oh man like you can't even find your car let alone get out of the place yeah the mo is just like figure it out man so we had fun with that and then we got into the registration area oh but hang on ross yeah i know what you're thinking nothing could have happened before registration but something did what happened one of my favorite things of the whole conference so we're walking to registration Mm -hmm. and a woman is driving against us oh okay all right she's driving the opposite way oh yes Okay. So, yeah, we're walking and she drives up to us very slowly. She's like, she's a middle-aged, very pretty blonde woman. She has and her hair pulled back. So she kind of slows down, slows down. It's almost as if she's deciding whether we're leaving so she can take our spot, which is absurd because this is the first talk of the day. And her hand is lazily drifting out of the window and she'll stop. Like she's like, going to catch her attention. As she nears us, she like <laughs> stops the car and points toward us. With like, you know, the cute gun motion, like, hey, you. Right. Okay. So we both stop to engage. What's playing in her car? The song Low Rider. And so she starts like driving along, kind of alongside us, but really, really, really slowly. And she keeps stopping like she's going to talk to us. And then she just sings like with the song. And we're both, we're not actually turns quite toward her because neither of us are sure like are you trying to talk <laughs> it's to the weirdest thing not? this goes on maybe approaching a minute <laughs> which is very long for well, i don't recall seeing her again she could have been an alien she was an alien but do, do, I said do, do, to you, after she pulled do, off, do, I was do, like, do, this is the beginning do, do. of a movie. <laughs> it really was like a moment from a movie. That was weird. I'm glad you remembered that because I'd totally forgotten it. So uh, people pointed us toward the registration area. That took a while to find, but we got our armbands, yellow contact in the desert bands that would stay on our arms for the next three or four days. Young man who was doing the registration table told me to sign a waiver and said that it would abdicate their responsibility if I was... Abducted. abducted by aliens <laughs> i read it it did not and i told him that and he was like oh that's what someone told me and i said <laughs> oh i think they're playing a joke on you and he was like oh <laughs> <laughs> so with our arm bands in hand or on arm we waltzed off to the friendship hall mm-hmm. already at this conference this is different than our arkansas experience because there are five tracks going on yeah. at the same time and at any given time there will be some talks that are free and some that you have to pay extra for Right. So all the nine, ten talks were free. free. Or, yeah. you know, included in the pass we had bought, rather. Mm-hmm. And there was an amphitheater that was often used for panel talks, kind of the biggest area. It was all outdoors under a large shade structure, which I was very appreciative of. But then there were these four other halls you could go to. So, yeah, we wandered over to the Friendship Hall because we wanted to hear Michael Sala talk about the U.S. Navy's secret space program and Nordic Extraterrestrial Alliance. Uh, yeah, which sounds awesome. And yeah. also, we thought we'll just stay in there for the next talk because we really wanted to go to that talk. So we thought we'll just stay there and sit there. There will be no problem with that plan. This Why is a would good there plan. be? So we get there and we both realize, like dum dums, we've forgotten to bring our notebooks. We've only been doing this for six years. <laughs> we forgot all kinds of things. So here we are. And so I look in my backpack and all I've got is a Sudoku book that someone gave me when I was working the last election nice. because he got frustrated. He's like, I don't know what to do with these. So he handed me a book with six improperly done Sudokus. So I, <laughs> I opened up the next one and I started taking notes there while doing sudokus and in this conference i ended up doing 36 sudokus while while taking notes so it was kind of a fun little diversion because you can pay attention to the stuff while solving sudokus so we came in a little bit late Mm -hmm. we were probably what like 40 minutes into the talk i don't think quite that late but he had already gotten started yeah and older gentleman white hair very tan skin Mm -hmm. yeah he he just looked like a professorial type Mm -hmm. had a nice speaking voice so one of the 50 
Caucasian speakers of the 51 <laughs> speakers. <laughs> right. He was telling us about Antarctica and how important that was to ufology. Not only did we learn in the conference that there was an ancient civilization that lived there 13 million years ago and before, a human civilization apparently. Uh, so there's all this technology buried under Antarctica. But also the Germans were visiting Antarctica during World War II and building up a force, working on weapons, working with alien technology. They had like flying discs. They were doing all of this secretly in Antarctica. Ah. And why hadn't we ever heard of that before? Why? Well, probably because it didn't happen. They didn't want want us to know. I guess so. Uh, But it was interesting because there was a tie-in to what we just heard about in Arkansas with the Battle of Los Angeles that the crafts recovered from that battle were then used to extrapolate alien technology. So we heard about how there was this whole Fourth Reich planned. Uh, yes, the and Fourth Reich. Continuing on after World War II ended that these German scientists kept working in Antarctica to develop all of this technology. And it was really weird at one moment when he mentioned the German Workers' Party. Everyone started clapping. <laughs> and I, oh, lo- I didn't notice that. I looked up from my Sudoku and then I realized that the projector had finally come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so his slides were there. <laughs> With a bunch of images. So, okay, they weren't clapping for the German Workers' Party. And these German scientists working on their Operation Paperclip, that was the name of it, continued into the 1970s. So We heard about Operation Paperclip a bunch of times in Arkansas, but not as many times at this one. Mm, yeah, and it could just be an artifact of us choosing different types of talks, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it was mentioned a couple times, but you're right, not as much. Uh, apparently, Nazi UFOs even flew over Washington, D.C. in 1952. Oh. That's something I didn't know. And still don't. Right. He uh, was verifying a lot of this with majestic documents, which we talked about in our Arkansas episode. So take that with the appropriate grain of salt. Now, remind me, there isn't any military base in Antarctica now. There just used to be. Well, we heard later from our friend Linda Moulton Howe that there's an ongoing effort to dig up all of the evidence of the ancient civilizations in Antarctica to prepare Antarctica for other scientists to come visit. And then they're like, look, we scrubbed it for you and we made it look like, you know, none of this ever happened. Have at it, scientists. Okay. But yeah, I don't know about an active military base. It sounds like the Fourth Reich gave up its operations in 1970-ish. But also, this is all a computer simulation. Right. Yes, that's right. We also learned from Linda Moulton how that we are all in a simulation. So why does any of this matter? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Yeah, and they were talking about like the first flying aircraft carrier being made in 1931 the USS Akron, and that they're working on a two-kilometer spacecraft carrier. So it was like essentially an aircraft carrier floating in the sky. They were planning to make one that was two kilometers. So he was showing us plans for this. So that looked really cool. But what was really interesting was that there were these Nordic aliens involved in all of this. Yes, the Nordics. Who infiltrated the U.S. government. And so these are kind of like what we heard about in the Travis Walton abduction case. These are aliens that look like tall, blonde, blue-eyed people. Yes. Hitler's favorites. They're beautiful and blonde and white and blue-eyed, and God, they're so gorgeous. And the ladies have large bosoms, usually. And they're tall, and I think you... They are white and delightsome. Yes, exactly. You called back to the phrase, white and delightsome. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a tinge of racism in this, I reckon. So, yeah, we were getting hit with all of this right off the start and going, whoa, okay, and they're showing pictures of like beautiful blonde women, old black and white photos. Ah, she was a Nordic. And the speaker even asked the audience at one point, are there any Nordics here? And one woman raised her hand and we all kind of laughed that (laughs) off. Oh yeah, that's if they would actually tell us. And the Nordics are good. Yeah, it seemed like overall they were good aliens, though he was also talking about them being kind of covert within the U.S. government, and it sounded like they were up to shady things. And then we learned later on that Nordics can pretend to be reptilians, and reptilians can pretend to be Nordics. Yeah, we'll talk about that later, but I'm I'm pretty sure that was pulled out of Linda Moulton Howe's ass to save her (laughs) in a a sudden moment of fear. Oh, that's true. (laughs) But... um. 
But up until that moment, we only heard, I believe, that Nordics were good and that reptilians were bad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how clear of a read I got on that. But yeah, it was just amazing to hear Nordics and reptilians being discussed as very real things. Yes. So, I mean, at this moment, we haven't heard reptiles come up yet. Oh, he did mention reptilians. Oh, he did. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I'm glad you were paying attention, Ross, is it? Uh-huh. Um, I found this talk a little hard to follow, but partly because we came in part way. It was hilarious. At one moment, he said, and the Republicans have blah, 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 blah. And then he stopped and saw, I'm sorry, reptilians have blah, blah, blah. Oh, and right. The yes, audience that's love right. that. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked to realize that people were buying the reptile thing. Yeah. Because I associate that with David Icke. Right. An English fellow who espouses this theory that there are reptiles who are sort of, they're half human, half They're in the highest levels of government. Mm -hmm. The Clintons are famously some of them. (laughs) Right. And were like even before Hillary was presidential candidate. And and it seems like the kind of theorizing that usually everyone else can kind of get together and say like, oh, well, that's crazy. Right. We all agree. Overton's window. Those are the kooks. (laughs) We're the ones who just think like, okay there are some aliens who have advanced technology and they've been here that's what i expected here but no so many of these people are on board with the reptile and we're thing. scanning around the audience and yeah everybody's just Everyone nodding along nodding. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, yep that's right and uh this Nordics and reptiles. this fellowship hall holds maybe 150 people something like that it was full too yeah like at first it was standing room only and then a lady found us seats and so then we were really excited for our next speaker. Yes, this is why we made sure to be in the Friendship Hall, because this was the number one reason I wanted to come to Contact in the Desert. Whitley, Whitley Streber. Streber. Boy, he's been in my mind since I was very young when I was first getting into Aliens, because I remember just the cover of the book. for of Communion. Communion, yeah. yeah. And it was this illustration of that gray alien, that stereotypical whitish gray skin with the big black almond eyes. And it's just a frightening illustration. I remember that just stuck with me. And uh, yeah, so he was going to be here and speaking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've been a fan of Whitley's for a while too. Maybe not since I was a kid. I'll admit I haven't read the book. It's just the image stuck with me. And then I would see him on interviews. Yeah, I haven't read the book either. But I've listened to his podcast Dreamland. Oh, right. Which is pretty great. My ex-boyfriend, who we've called Milo on the show, mm-hmm. who we can let you know now is a dick. <laughs> um, he was a really... Did you have something to say? Oh, no, just an impressively dickish dick. Yeah, <laughs> for real. The, the for depths real. of it goes way deeper than you ever would think. Yeah, it's true. Uh, he was really into Whitley Strieber's Dreamland, and he was right about that. So, <laughs> as opposed to One thing else. he did not lie about. <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah, we would listen to Dreamland sometimes. I got into Whitley a bit from that and yeah, couldn't wait for him to come. And I thought, okay, he's going to be like a huge draw. This room's going to be so full. Yes. And the first thing they make us do is leave the room. Right. We'd moved up and we got good seats toward the front. Front row. And then they told us, no, we need everyone to exit the room and get in line to get back in the room. Because we need a head count. And it's like, you can count heads while we're in there for an hour and a half. Every one of these lectures was at least an hour and a half. I think it was really that they didn't want people to do what we were doing. They wanted people to be able to come and line up for that particular talk. Fair enough. Yeah. But anyway, so we do it. We like put our stuff down in the front row and hope that we can kind of save our seat. And we were. We were able to save our seat. Oh, don't worry, everybody. It's true. We get in the front row. Whitley Strieber comes out and it turns out it's like a pretty small crowd. He was competing against Graham Hancock. Yeah. Yeah, Linda Moulton Howe and David Wilcock. Oh, I didn't even realize that. And no Chris wonder. Hardy. So we'll get to some of those later. So yeah, it was surprisingly not full. And so he was up there getting fitted. And I've always thought of him as kind of one of the more respectable people in the UFO movement. Mm-hmm. He has a certain gravitas and seems very earnest and very genuine. He's a writer. And really, I guess that's all I'd heard from him. So this is my first time really getting to hear him lecture at length. And oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, so to give you a little background, he's a New York Times bestseller. He's the author of Communion. He was also an author of fiction before he turned to nonfiction. Like L. Ron Hubbard. Yep, but I think that's where the parallels stop, I hope. I think he's <laughs> more sincere than oh, R.H. Oh, yes. <laughs> he's 71 years old, born in 1945. White, gray hair. He's a widower. Mm-hmm. He's wearing his wedding ring when we see him. His wife's been gone for 18 months. He's tall. He's got a wide smile. 
His first abduction was on December 26th, 1985 in a cabin in upstate New York. And he calls the aliens who visit him the visitors. So with that stage set, one of the first things he mentioned was, you all know, right, about my implant from May 1989, the object placed in my ear. (laughs) And uh, everybody kind of looks at each other. He says, oh, well, who hasn't heard of it? And almost everyone in the room raises their hands. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. Why are you even here? (laughs) Yeah, right. Why would you even want to hear me talk? Well, I guess I better explain this then. He backtracks to 1985 after that and tells us about his first abduction. It took me a little bit to piece together. Was that what he was doing? he was oh, doing. See, I didn't yeah. even piece that together. Uh, yeah, he was talking about how he was laying in bed in a near sleep state, I uh-huh. can only assume. And he hears people talking outside. They're saying, condition red, windows are open. Mm-hmm. That's unnerving. Yeah. That, that would really sure. freak me out just by itself. Next thing he knows, there's two people in his room standing near the foot of his bed. That would Yikes. also freak me out. <laughs> Yes. Where's my baseball bat? And one is a man, one is a woman. Then they disappear and he goes running through the house to like figure out, wait, what what just happened? Who's there? And he doesn't see any sign of it. And so he thinks maybe he had a lucid dream. He literally says to us, well, I figured people have lucid dreams all the time. Maybe this was a particularly lucid dream. And I'm thinking, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But is that the end of the story? That's the thing. No. Nope. So the next morning, the garage door is open, but the alarm is still on. So this is confirmatory evidence. Right. Of something. Something. He uses an EMF meter on the door. Yeah, he brings in like a garage repairman and the garage repairman's like, there's a strong magnetic field here. Yeah. I don't know what to do with that story. (laughs) Why would you measure for that? Yeah, I don't know. I just got excited because I looked at my notes at that story and I saw right above it, I wrote nipple pinch because the aliens used to wake him up by pinching his nipples or various other Ah. methods. Couldn't leave that note out. Okay. Too good. Next thing you know, he finds that he has a white disc in his ear. And so he gets a surgeon to go after it, like to pull this thing out. And it moves in his ear to avoid being extracted. And the surgeon manages to nick off a piece of it. But the rest of it moves down his ear into his earlobe, where it currently lives. Right. So he said it's... It's on the left side of his head. Yeah. And it's down like where you would get your ear pierced. Yeah. In the heart of the earlobe. So then he says that they examined this little sliver that they were able to get off of it. And it's a combination of organic material and technology that they can't explain. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess it didn't disable it to take off a chunk of it, which you don't have anymore, apparently. Yeah, the story about him not having it anymore was kind of confusing, too. We heard a lot of stories about people not having important things anymore (laughs) this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. So he used to think that this was sort of an evil encounter, that his visitors were very bad. And apparently communion's a very scary story. Yes. But now- This is another common thread, which we saw with Travis Walton's experience Mm, and Deborah. that's true. Yeah, where it starts out as a very Very frightening thing. But then in retrospect, oh, I'm so glad I was- chosen. Yeah, so now he views it as very good, and in fact, he thinks that this implant had a very specific purpose. Mm-hmm. That now, this is so sweet, now he thinks that he can talk to his dead wife with it. So his, his wife is Anne, and he believes that she still communicates with him actively through this earpiece. So before, he was trying to get it extracted, and now you couldn't pay him to remove right. it. Right. It was so sweet, him talking about Anne. Just any chance he gets to talk about her, he waxes poetically about how what a wonderful Wonderful, beautiful woman she is. You can tell he's just still so in love with her. And it's, yeah. it's the most heart-melting thing ever. And you feel so bad for him. And I mean, he literally start crying. Uh, I started crying a couple times. Mm. They're writing a book together, he and Anne. Yeah, and he tells us he knows now for certain the dead do not die. Right. He had some pieces of proof of this, like that she still helps him run his website. They're writing a book together now. And he said, you can see a video on my website where she presents herself to me. And I went on the website to see what that was. And the video has actually been removed, but I could kind of put it together from the surrounding text what happened in the video. Hmm. I think what happens is that he was reading a story about white moths that she had really loved and i think as he's reading the story a white moth passes in front of the lens and he believed the white moth was Anne. ah okay he says that a window will open up in his left eye 
when the implant is communicating with him. And so he'll actually see text. He says in courier font that will come across, so like this kind of typewriter font that will come across and he can read that. So that's what will inspire him to write things and send him messages directly from Anne. Ah, okay. I missed that. I wondered what he was saying when he said that at one point he asked, who are you? And the font said, it's Anne. So Mm -hmm. that's what he was talking about. Okay. Yeah. So he told us a little bit about their dating life. So they started out with computer dating. They started out on something called Mind Mates, Mm -hmm. which might still exist online. I found a Mind Mates. Don't know if it's the same one. It's where Um, you go to find other smart people. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, that was the whole idea is that you find other intelligent people. Oh, nice. Yeah, he met a bunch of girls. He said uh-huh. that all had fish names. Yeah, like one was Linda one had the Trout. last name Trout. One was <laughs> last name Salmon. Uh-huh. I knew a girl growing up named Courtney Salmon, and I was immediately like, maybe it was her mom, as if the odds were good. Of None that. of these matches were working out, and so he tried calling- The one girl without a fish last night. Right, and uh, in, yeah, it, the way he spoke about her was so lovely. Yeah, it was so sweet. So- Immediately, they hit it off. They get married. He told us it was like a $200 wedding. You know, they were so in love. They had to get married right away, even though they were poor. And it sounded like they were like 22, something like that, really, really young. One of the things that Anne pointed out to Whitley early on was, you know, you, you're you such like a good storyteller and you tell all these stories about your childhood, but you only have like the funny stories. You don't have any hmm. like really deep, important memories of your childhood. And he's like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, you're right. I need to recover more of my childhood memories so i don't know Mm -hmm. that's that's how he tells us yeah he said that he didn't really have any memories of his childhood up to like when he was 25 even he said that but then he would also say he did have funny stories from childhood i guess so but maybe he felt like many years were missing yeah in his recollection so then he used the help of a hypnotherapist whoa to recover some of these memories Uh uh-huh now we talked about this in in our last episodes that there are dangers to doing this it's a good way to create memories that aren't there Yes. Now, Whitley holds that there are bad hypnotherapists that do do that, but he went to a good one. A really good, reputable one. Donald Klein. Oh, Don Don. So he's one of the good hypnotherapists. He doesn't ask leading questions. No, he's legit. He was recommended by Bud Hopkins, who we heard about in the previous episode. It's funny because it doesn't even take a leading question for this to happen. Nope. Yeah. All it takes is a culturally available set of storylines to right. follow. Yeah. I mean, we could have invented things through Scientology auditing, too. You know, you ask me, like, what do you see in the room? And if I say a purple dinosaur, you run with that. Yeah. And in the right century, it would be be witches on broomsticks. Right. But this just happened to be, well, this happened to be the century in which he had a memory of visiting the whore store. Yes. Whore store. That's what their name was for, what was it, a bordello or... Or it just had loose women there somehow? I don't think they even... I don't think it even did have anything to do with a prostitute. Okay. I think it was just a store on their block that he would pass. They called it the whore store. That had a window and a chair in it. And he thought that it looked like a whore would sit there and wait for gentlemen. So he had this... So he called it a whore store. Okay. Well, he had this horror story about walking by there once and seeing like a guy trying to get out and a bunch of dark blue dwarves pushing him back inside. Now, was this one a recovered memory? I got the impression this one wasn't. You know, he told it like a regular memory. But either way, he remembered seeing this, these dark blue dwarves, these small blue guys pushing this guy back in. And yeah. he, he had another story about these blue guys. These play an important role in his experience of visitors. He asked later in a different venue, in a much larger audience, he asked, how many of you have had experiences with this race of the tiny blue aliens? And I look around one person out of maybe 400 people raise their hand. Mm-hmm. So it's not a species of alien I'd heard about before, and it seems to yeah, be it sounds like the unique to Whitley Strieber. I think you have to have grown up with Whitley Strieber to even have that as one of the available possibilities for you to then dream up and mm. add to your little lexicon of possible hallucinations or right. dreams. Yeah, yeah, great. Now our listeners, when they get hypnotherapy... <laughs> 
are going to remember the little blue guys. You're right, exactly. Because we just planted in your head. And our heads are really good at stitching together memories. And if they're real or if they're fake, they all feel just the same in right. your head when you play them and back. And now you'll have Papa Smurf. All right, I want you all to picture right now a bunch of blue guys walking into the room where you are right now. Or if you're in the car, they're sitting in the back seat. I'm picturing the actual Smurfs. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just put them in a location you're familiar with and let that be your memory. And uh, you can play it back, right? You can have them walk around. You can have them lift you up on their shoulders and carry you through the room. Here's what I'm having Are you picturing do. it? They're walking into this room. So we're recording this in my living room, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is where we record everyone. And they're sitting down on the couch. Tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> and they're, they're friendly. So they're petting Ella. And they've pulled out the Nintendo Wii. And they're setting it up because they're like, how come you haven't played this in so long? I'm picturing that. Okay. But I'm picturing them as kind of the ugly blue midget dwarfs that he talked about but anyway they're totally friendly and they're just like hey what's up guys okay i can see it in my mind's eye because that's what brains are really good at doing Mm -hmm. and if i thought that was a real memory it would feel just as real as my 12th birthday party see this wouldn't feel just as real for now but over time it probably would so he had all kinds of interesting stories and they were a lot of them were just like the weird thing that happened that you can't explain but doesn't really fit into the alien mythos like the radio talking to him one day yeah the radio spoke to him he also had a story that he seemed to think was quite extraordinary that really didn't seem extraordinary one time he went down to the lobby of his apartment and there were like bloody handprints yeah I mean gross and everything yeah creepy story but, but yeah not necessarily but not paranormal alien or anything yeah right yeah, the, the hypnotherapist helped him recover memories like one time his mom was tied up in the bedroom. Oh, yikes. One time he went to Randolph Air Force Base and was so shocked he had to go to hospital. One, one time his dad put him in a Skinner box. Oh, yes, which apparently B.F. Skinner did not do <laughs> yes, to children. Very sorry, everybody. He also thinks that his dad may have been in intelligence, even though he doesn't have any real factual evidence of this because he has a memory of his dad ripping up a photo of of him in a coffin. Oh, that was the weirdest thing. Like his dad had visited an African country and there was a photo of him. Like standing upright in a coffin yeah. next to an African or being, man. Or being held up like there were people lifting up a coffin and his dad was in the coffin looking dead, I think he said. Yeah. Like playing around in a coffin. And so he brought this photo to his dad and said, oh, what is this? And his dad immediately ripped it up right in front of him and said, you never saw this. Yeah. Sounds like a jokey thing a dad did. And Whitley Streeper has been thinking forever since then that his dad was a spy or something. I don't know what to think of that story. Anyway, at this point, I'm just listening to all this and like, I so want him to be right. (laughs) Because he's such a sweet guy. He's such a sweet guy, yes. But also, I just I want him to have this. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the thing that's, like, keeping him connected to his wife. And yeah. it's so important to him. And I just, like, I can't find any part of me that wants anything but just this hmm. to be right for him. Yeah, and he had the speculation about his dad. But apparently, his uncle did work in the military. And he says that he got to hold the material at Roswell at that crash. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of his adjacency to the UFO phenomenon. I think why he feels he's been sort of targeted his whole life. But yeah, anyways, I'm... I'm definitely with you, and and I would never want to take this away from him. Yeah. One thing I remember from his podcast is that Anne was really into ghost cats. Ghost cats? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So cats survive into the afterlife as well. Yeah, I think all our pets do, according to them. But hmm. she would collect stories specifically of cats who would like show up in people's homes. Ghost cats. Cool. Yeah. He also talked about the face on Mars and how that was a real thing. Right. When he showed that one, he said, now some of this might be real. Some of it might not be real. I was like, oh. You may all remember this was a huge deal back in the day. I want to say 70s. There was an early orbiter around Mars that got photos of the surface. In this one photo, you can see different features on the surface of Mars. And there's this one that legitimately looks Looks like a face. Like a face. Or a mask. Yeah. And you can see there's like a slit where the mouth would be. And you've got like a depression for the eye. And yeah, it looks like a face. And so this was a huge cultural phenomenon. The the biggest proponent of it was this guy named Richard Hoagland. Mm. And he kind of made his name promoting the 
this face on Mars. So people wanted to know what was the civilization that built this and mm. where are these Martians? Whitley was telling us that, oh yeah, this is real. Then he had to explain why when later satellites came along with higher resolution cameras and different lighting conditions, took additional photos of the same structure and it very clearly was not a face. Uh, but you can look at these newer photos and say, oh, okay, I can see how under the right lighting conditions and low resolution, it would have looked like that face that we saw before. But his explanation was that they, the government, the aliens, whoever, had gone in and messed it up. They had uh, done major moving of Earth or Mars. Reconstructive Mars facial surgery. Right, just <laughs> so it would look like a natural feature and make all of the Mars face people look silly. Oh, it's like God going in and putting the fossils of the dinosaurs in there to test your faith. It is very much like that. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, I gotta stop you there and interrupt all of this UFO goodness to bring you a show from Maximum Fun. That sounds out of this world. Do you get it? Well, okay, so so we're on Earth. Uh-huh. That's our current world. And then this would be, so outside, that would be from in space. Yes. <laughs> this promo is from space. Clever. You're yeah. very clever. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. So it turns out that greys, which is one of the species of aliens, mm -hmm. the gray ones. Yes. <laughs> as you may have guessed. With the big black almond eyes. That they are very allergenic. If you touch them, many of us, many humans, will have a severe allergic reaction. And for this reason, Whitley and his wife had to keep EpiPens around their house. That's a story they told. What? He also had... Uh, I wonder what was really going on there. Oh, me too. Yeah. He had another story about going to visit this ethereal realm on another planet and finding this school that had been there for a million years and he said that he is still studying at that school. What do you oh, make wow, of... I missed that. Yeah, what yeah. do you make of comments like that? Yeah, especially when you're utterly convinced as I am that Whitley's being sincere and I am 100% convinced. What about you? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I, I guess I'll say 99% because there's room for... Sure, but yeah, I don't doubt his sincerity. Yeah. But he just comes across as such a sober, friendly, mm -hmm. intelligent person and, and then you hear the things he says and you, you have to kind of reconcile that in your head. What mm -hmm. am I going to do with this? Yeah. So he tells us that lots of people have seen these visitors, including some filmmakers. Oh, okay, great. Okay, now we're going to get some evidence in here, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So mm -hmm. this pair of filmmakers come to visit and they leave a camera running the whole time. They're hoping to catch the visitors. And while they're sleeping in separate rooms, because it was like a man and woman who weren't together, so they had taken separate rooms, the visitors come and they knock on the shoulder of one of the one of the filmmakers. And he wakes up and he sees this alien there and screams, and mm -hmm. Well, guess what? The aliens had also gone and messed with the female filmmaker and they're both screaming and they're like, well, perfect. Of course, this is going to be caught on film. This alien had to walk between the two rooms and mess with these two filmmakers. There's a hall between them. That's where the camera is. They're both like, hurrah, we've done it. Yeah. They check the tape and check this out, Ross. There are no aliens on the tape. That's so <gasps> weird. That's just further proof. That these are interdimensional beings. And yet another way that the dog has eaten their homework. Things go missing. Aliens don't show up on tapes. Interesting. <sighs> yeah, and he said uh, he's more than anything else seen these little blue guys. Those are his visitors. He had been, I think, outside at one point and he saw like a group of people standing around in a tight circle with their heads down like people would if they were standing and maybe praying or something. Mm. And he got close to them and a blue guy pops out and says, get out. Oh, yeah, that's I scary. love that movie. Great film. Get out's real good. Yeah. So many odd little stories he kept throwing our way. Now, Ross, you may be wondering, how can I make myself most visible to the visitors if I want them to visit me? Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. How would you do that? You could meditate twice a day. 
Mm-hmm. Once at 3.30 a.m. and once at 11 p.m. What? Those are weird times. I'm going to have to wake myself up in the middle of my sleeping cycle. Well, that's what you should do. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, so this is what Whitley does at 11 oh, p.m. Oh, yeah, because he was saying that especially for the dead, if they're monitoring consciousnesses, if everyone else is asleep, that one person waking up in the middle of the night helps them narrow in like, ah, I'm getting this one clear signal, mm. like how we can see stars at night. All right, okay, that makes sense. I guess I gave that a lot of credit by saying that makes sense. That <laughs> might be a little overdoing it, but that makes a, an internal sort of logic. Sure. So he says to do a mindfulness meditation, which is the sort of working up and down your body and being mindful of, you know, what your toes feel like and then your feet and then, mm-hmm. you know, and move all the way up and down your body. And that this helps produce this warm glow and the visitors can see it. He's even gotten a message from Anne that she can see him when he's doing this meditation and that's part of how the visitors come to him and he recommends everyone else do it as well now you know and listen for owls if you can then you'll see a ufo but if you want to see an owl listen for a ufo which by the way when he was telling his abduction story he did hear an owl before it happened yes oh and we both whipped our necks and looked at each other so exciting we whipped our heads 270 degrees (laughs) looked at each other Flapped our wings and took off. Our heads initially turned away from each other, but they came around the other side, (laughs) locked eyes. We were amazed. Um, The owl connection. I had heard this before. I think I read it in Mike's book. But yeah, there is a white owl in Whitley's story somewhere. And there was a QA and a period. You got up and you asked him a question about fear. Yeah. So one of the things that I've noticed in this UFO community, and especially at the Arkansas conference, mm-hmm. is that a lot of people would claim that the aliens were all good and that they just want us to all be kind and all be gentle. And that's the real lesson here. And once we all get this advantage, consciousness then the aliens will come and be friends with us right so what's up with all the scary memories yeah what's up with all that and also how is this possible i mean there are (laughs) good people and bad people surely there are good aliens and bad aliens let's be realistic here i said to whitley some of that and then i said i think your approach makes a lot more sense that of course there are some good aliens and there are some bad aliens right but how do you keep that perspective and not fall into fear Because Mm -hmm. obviously you had these negative experiences that were quite scary. And he said, oh, I fall into fear all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He just basically said, like, I just face the truth. And like, the truth is that some of these experiences are bad, but you don't shy away from life just because there are good and bad and ups and downs. And you have to soldier on. Sober answer. Yeah. My favorite thing he said, though, was when talking about the way that we look at extraterrestrials, he said, could a caterpillar think a butterfly was beautiful when it involves its own death? One of the other question askers was talking about having children with aliens. And that's the only time we heard that during the conference. What, about aliens and humans mating? Well, at least one person talking about her own experience having like a child with the aliens. Oh, she said she had had one? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear that. African-American lady. And yeah, that was amazing. Like, whoa, okay. And I was hoping I'd see more of that. Oh, was she the one who was volunteering there? Yes. Oh, man, there were so many interesting comments that came out of Whitley. He was saying that more than once a second, an intelligent species goes extinct in the universe. Oh, right. That's why I was asking my question. Yeah. 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 He said that's the kind of thing he tries not to talk about because he feels like he's been revealed this information, but he doesn't have any confirmation Uh, so he only stands by the things that he can confirm which i'm surprised gives him any room to talk about much of anything yeah it seems like a pretty good policy oh sure yeah in theory so yeah whitley streber so far of the two people we've seen my favorite person at the conference okay well there's many more people to see We'll see how he holds up. So now we decide, let's go to lunch. This will be easy. We're vegetarians in Joshua Tree and no problem. <laughs> yeah, not so easy. Yeah, it turns out it was very difficult. We had to go to three places. Like what was going chain on. restaurants that normally have vegetarian options. Nope. No. Nothing. Bizarre. Like you can't get a salad without meat. Yeah, it was very weird. Anyway, I'll get the minestrone soup. Nope. Actually, we've never had that. I don't know why they put it on the menu. <laughs> yeah, that's an actual thing that happened at IHOP. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha. 
<laughs> Very weird. Anyway, finally, we got some food. We went back for the tail end of Nick Pope's lecture. Yeah, there and back again. There and back again. Oddly, not a hobbit's tail. It was about UFOs and yeah, see, military I don't get that intelligence. Reference. Oh, that's the original that story that Bilbo Baggins wrote. There and back again. Oh, really? A, a hobbit's tail. See, no idea. Now you know. Yeah, but I'll forget it. Anyway, we arrived at 3 p.m. I know you were all thinking, but what time did you get there? Well, don't worry. It's in my notes. We (laughs) arrived at 3 p.m. We were told that Nick Pope is the real life Mulder. He's over there in jolly old England interacting with their UFO files and tales of the strange and unexplained. So he's here to talk to us about UFO disclosure in the UK. He was talking a lot about Project Condine, which was a British effort to gather all of their reports on UFOs. And this is where we learned that the new term for UFOs is... UAP. Yeah, which some people use and some people are like, what's the point? Unidentified aerial Aerial phenomena. phenomena. So there you go. If you want to be hip when you're talking to a UFO person, you can say, have you seen any UAPs lately? But most will be like, ugh, I don't say that. It really doesn't buy you much. Yeah. Except aerial phenomena could include like things that are not objects. It's entirely because they think that UFO has become too poo-pooed in society. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We need to uh, come up with a new euphemism or term to make it sound more legit. So there you go. UAP. So he investigated UFOs for the UK government and he believes there's evidence for UFOs, but that most of the people who know about this, most of the people who were once in the government and know the information, that they're now in the private sector. So even if you petitioned the government for the information, the people who once had it aren't Mm. there. So okay. that, that was kind of an interesting take. He was a thin gentleman, kind of a sharp nose and graying hair, and just seemed very matter-of-fact, very believable person just from listening mm-hmm. to him. He also had the British accent, which mm-hmm. makes him sound intelligent and credible. Sure. He made a few Trump jokes. He did, but he would kind of apologize for them as he went into them. Right. He'd be like, I could make a joke like the following. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they were all kind of lame too, like, oh, we're going to build a space wall now to keep the aliens out? Like, yeah. Already hard. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. He admitted that government is so slow on these things that he wouldn't be surprised if next year he's giving the exact same talk again because they haven't made any significant progress on this mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. I'm predicting he is correct. So he mentioned, as other speakers would mention, that Clinton said if elected, she would look again at all these questions. Right. She would look at Area 51. Yeah, there's so much hot and cold over Clinton in this crowd. Yeah, the Clintons have both been connected with John Podesta, and he's a big supporter of disclosure and getting all this information out. And apparently Bill Clinton was interested in revealing this information, but either never found it or never followed through on that promise. And Hillary was determined to go back in and get more data. So our speaker, Nick Pope, met with Podesta in 2011, he says, but he also says he's never met with Trump's people, so he doesn't have any information for us about like whether Trump is pro or anti-disclosure. Disclosure, right. He also mentioned that he's a big supporter of SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is a scientific effort to detect signals of life outside the planet. And I happen to be a big fan of SETI as well. So he said point blank that he knows of no documentary evidence that ET intelligence exists and has come here. But he's absolutely convinced that such intelligence does exist. Yeah. So he seems to be a bit of a moderate voice as far as whether Mm -hmm. that intelligence has come here. Are you sure it's not just because he has a British accent? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't feel that he made any direct claims that... ETs have visited our planet, did you? No. Uh, my favorite moment of that whole lecture oh, I think I know. Yeah, was a lady with a question. She came up and she said, I saw a guy with a shirt that said he was Area 51 security. <laughs> this wasn't my favorite part, but this was pretty good. And so then she had a question about Area 54 because he had told her about this, this uh, security guard. And so Nick Pope had to very 
carefully tell this woman who had seen a guy at Walmart with a, a shirt that said Area 51 security that it may have just been you know, worn sort in... Sort of a novelty shirt. Yeah, it may have just been worn in jest because do you really think they would wear shirts that say Area 51 security that are like t-shirts? Probably not. Also, then I was walking around the vendors later that same day and they were, they selling, were selling Area 51 security shirts. Yeah. Oh, man. But my favorite part of that Q&A was a guy who walked up to the microphone phone and said something to the effect of, well, do you think that the Clintons are pro-disclosure because they're trying to cover up for Pizzagate and create a false flag situation where everyone looks at disclosure so that they're distracted from the whole Pizzagate thing? Now, if anyone doesn't know what Pizzagate is, I'll let you go on your own internet rabbit hole, but like, it's a completely unverified conspiracy theory that the Clintons and others are involved in this. Not only unverified, but shown to be Discredited, discredited yeah. conspiracy theory. They were running a, a child pornography. pornography ring out of the basement of a pizza parlor that does not have a basement. Called Comet Ping Pong. Anyway, uh, Nick Pope flat out was like, that's what I'd call, and I don't use this term lightly, fake news. <laughs> yeah, he handled that all very well. So again, we wanted to go to the following lecture, but they made us get out and get in a long line. But that allowed me to buy a slice of pizza, so all was good. Oh, good. So then we were back in that same building for... Yeah, this is the sanctuary, by the way. Right. Which has a very tall spire. Right. That sticks out of the top of it. Which also has a pretty, like, creepy feel to me. Really? Not as creepy as the Lotus Room, which we'll get to later. Yeah, I, I feel I feel the sanctuary could have been easily converted into like a Christian church. It had a little creepy feel. Well, I mean, some Christian churches can be creepy. I, I didn't get the creepy feel. I mean, I like to feel creeped out, so don't take this as a negative. Sure, sure. But I think it's a little creepy. Okay. Okay, but we were back for the fourth talk of the day for us. Eric Von Donakin. That's right. Yeah. This is another one I was super excited about. I had never heard of him until our friend from Arkansas mentioned him. Oh, so okay. our friends our friends who we met at dinner that one night, she was really into him. Yeah, she seemed to like the ancient aliens. She told us about Zechariah Sitchin and Eric von Donakin, who had written Chariots of the Gods. Which, oh, it's plural? Yeah. Oh. Oh, plural chariots. Chariots and gods. I guess that's fair. If you're a bunch of gods, are you all just going to shove into one chariot? Like Everyone a- gets their own chariot. Yeah. You get a chariot. You, you get, get a, a chariot. chariot. And this was a few years before Rail published his his own work. Oh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so his was derivative of some other writers before him. But mm. yeah, he did not come up with this whole idea of the God mentioned in the Bible and in ancient texts actually being aliens. Aliens, from yeah, because that's other planets. that will be the theme of this talk is basically that everything we've heretofore heard in the holy text was really about aliens. Yeah, so we really have Eric von Donneken originally to thank for the idea of ancient aliens that all of these Visitors mentioned gods and miracles performed, etc. were all just interpretations of ancient people encountering this technology they didn't know how to describe. Right. Fair enough. And I'm sure he would say this applies to all faiths, but his focus will be the Bible. And I can see why this would be so compelling, because it's really fun once you start looking at the Bible with that kind of interpretation, you can make these things work, because you have weird, what? Oh, I'm just, I'm glad you found it fun. This is the kind of thing where I got very bored very quickly. But, you know, you have these strange interludes in the Bible, like uh, the Nephilim, these angels sleeping with the daughters of men and producing offspring who are giants. Right. Like, okay, what? And so then if you explain that as being aliens who came and had sex with women, like, whoa, okay, now we get this whole hybrid thing. And then you have, uh, he spent a lot of time on Ezekiel's vision. So Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air. Is that a song? No, what? You've never heard that song? You just made that song up. No, you really haven't heard that song? The little woman by faith. Are you you shitting with me? (laughs) Not as much as you're shitting with me. Oh, come on. Wait, are you really shitting with me? me you've heard that song no what is that a real song yes all right who's shitting here really not have you really not heard that song sing the song well i don't know that much of it but here's (laughs) what i know 
Ezekiel saw the wheel way up in the middle of the air, the little real one by faith and the big real one by the grace of God, <gasps> a wheel in a wheel way in the middle of the air. I really wanna, haven't heard this? I want to go back and redo my childhood now. <laughs> How did I miss that? I don't know. It's like a Sunday school song. I'm surprised I know it because I got into church as a high schooler or middle schooler after that I never phase. heard that. That's insane. Oh. How did well, I miss that? I'm very happy because we're going to get tweets. Yeah, right. People Everyone's going to tell like, us. We know that song, Of Gary. course we have. Have you never heard that, oh, Ross? I've heard that, Ross. Okay. All right. Everybody send us YouTube videos of you singing that song for us. Yes, please. So anyway, uh, he spent a long time, especially on that Ezekiel vision, because he had had NASA scientists take this description from from Ezekiel and reconstruct what that spaceship that he describes with the wheels inside of wheels, what it would have looked like. And so they pick up Ezekiel and they carry him to the top of a mountain or something like that. And then he sees the whole world, but it was probably just his way of describing being up in a spacecraft because he had no language for that. And then they made him take all these measurements of the landing pad. You got to say, when you read Ezekiel and like he's being asked by the angels to take measurements, you're like, why? And that's what he asked, why? Why should I do that? Anyways, all of this was reinterpreted and we got to see all this video footage showing a badly modeled Ezekiel with these really scary looking expressions being flown up in the ship. I was excited. You sure. don't look as excited. But no evidence is presented for why it's aliens. Let's be clear. You could reinterpret all of this as aliens. End of talk. Correct. Yeah. Now, to give context to all this, he told us that he was raised Catholic, mm -hmm. um, that he believes deeply in God. We get the impression, or I got the impression, that he was still of a Christian faith. Oh, yeah. He definitely still believes in that God, but feels that particular interactions with God that we hear about in the Bible were all aliens. One thing I love is that he kept telling us that Ezekiel doesn't say the word God. It keeps saying the splendorness of the highest. And Eric von Duniken has this very strong German accent still, so it's just funny him saying splendorness of the highest <laughs> yeah he's swiss what's a splendorness oh is it swiss mm -hmm. oh that's right we also hear about the pyramids the pyramids are really amazing and no one knows who built them so it was aliens I, I think the consensus that we were getting was that yeah humans built the pyramid but they needed the instructions on how to do it from the aliens ah uh, okay they couldn't have figured that out on their own he told us that before leaving the ets promised to return and he said, you know, all these religions argue about who's right, but all religions are wrong because the ETs are back now. Yeah, he had no problem just dismissing all religion right there. No one called him on it. No one seemed the least perturbed. Yeah. So that was a non-controversial statement. All religions are wrong. Yeah, I mean, there seemed to be an implication that in some sense they're all right because they're all kind of seeking this love figure. The love figure just turns out to be aliens. Mm -hmm. But they're all wrong in that they're waiting for their little individuated messiahs to come back and... <laughs> They never existed. The aliens existed and they're already back. Another biblical character that he spent a lot of time on was Enoch, who is mentioned only very briefly in the Bible, but it is mentioned that he was taken up to be with God. Von Doniken spent a lot of time looking at the book of Enoch, which told more of his story and how that was actually an encounter with aliens. But the book of Enoch itself is not canonical. It's not in the Bible. And it's a well-known pseudopigrapho, meaning it was written much later and someone was pretending to be Enoch writing this uh, narrative. So not sure why one would take it that seriously to begin with. Well, they take a lot of things seriously at this conference. And by the way, Enoch was the creator of the pyramids. Oh, that was him. Yeah, it was like- Good job. I guess Sorit was the name of the creator of the pyramid in Egyptian, but okay. in Hebrew, they called him Enoch. Uh, so he's the one who most of the time he had the staircases go down. <laughs> but in that one pyramid, Cheops- he decided to have it go up. So actually, most of the time, if you go into a pyramid, the stairs will go down. But in Cheops, they ascend. Mm -hmm. This is a callback to Jeet Scott if anyone's like, what the fuck <laughs> oh. is she doing? Yeah, stop it, Gary. What are um. you saying? <laughs> One interesting thing he said is that Pa Cowell, I'm not sure 
how to spell that, but that's what I heard from him, is supposed to return after 4,000-something years. He had a specific number, and he said, and that should be in like 10 to 12 years. So he is expecting like this return. Ha-cowl? Is that an alien? I think so. Okay. That's at least what I wrote out of what he said. But yeah, he's expecting essentially an imminent return of this ancient god that visited 4,000 years ago. Can't wait. We'll still be doing the podcast then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we'll be there for the return of Pa Cowl. Yeah, let's put it in the calendar. We have a shared Google calendar. Not to be confused with Pa Kettle. Correct. Do you want to put that in the Google Calendar or should I put it in the Google Put it calendar? in the Google Calendar, okay, I'll please. Put it in the Google Calendar. Thank you. So we're ready. We should be ready. To just block out 10 to 12 years from now. The whole year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The whole three years. Uh-huh. One of my favorite things about Eric von Zonneken's talk, you talk about, Ross, about these moments where people's worldviews kind of click together for you and you're like, oh, I kind of get how you see the oh, world yeah, right yeah. now. This was, for me, kind of a moment where I was like, oh, that's interesting. This kind of locks together some disharmonious things for me. Okay. So one of the objections that people who don't believe that aliens have come here have is, well, it takes so much time to get here that no matter how great your technology is, you would die on the way. Right. And Eric Van Doniken says the spaceships have whole generations on them. They're these multi-generational crafts. Yeah. And you have grandparents, parents, and kids and birthing stations on the crafts. Common sci-fi trope. Oh, okay. See, I had Gener- never heard generational this. Generational ships. Yeah. Okay. I had never heard this. So there's basically space stations that have these many generations on them and then space ships that go from the space stations to the individual planets. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, okay. Like yeah, that, yeah. you know. Sensible. That at least makes more sense. Yeah, he was saying that even at 2% of the speed of light that we could colonize the galaxy in the next 10 million years. Let's do it. So yeah, relatively small amount of space. So he was saying, oh, the aliens could have been doing that all along. They had enough geologic time to be colonizing the, the universe. I, I gotta say, like, None of this is a paranormal claim, Mm -hmm. like, because, yeah, there's got to be life on other planets elsewhere throughout. But, you know, it's the distances, and that's the big issue. But, yeah, the idea that other aliens could eventually travel around and spread via panspermia, if not more direct methods, seeding life elsewhere, all of this is totally reasonable and could be true. It's just, is the evidence there? Right. Yeah, he had some other interesting info about the pyramids. He had talked about these closed-minded scientists who had said, oh, these little shafts here, they only go like eight meters. But then they sent a robot down these shafts and they had video of it and they went way, way far into the walls. And and then they eventually encountered a block in their way and they drilled through it and they still have never gotten past that point. That was an intriguing story. Like, whoa, I want to know what's in there. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Although he took half an hour to tell us that. Yeah, it took me less than a minute. Yeah. He also said, this was a point that I wanted to agree with. I was like 90% of the way with him. Okay. And he said this in a panel later too. He said, in both science and religion, we treat humanity as the greatest thing. Oh, yes. So religion treats humanity as God's greatest creation. And evolution treats humanity as if it's sort of the- Pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. Everything evolved moving toward man. But people do talk about it that way sometimes. Yeah, but I feel the people who say that- sort of thing are the ones who understand evolution the least and are just trying to make it kind of fit the preconceived image of humans as being that paragon that... You feel like it's a straw man. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't feel like any scientists who really understand evolution well give any indication of believing that evolution was intended to create us or that we are the end result of evolution. Oh, right, right. But there's this idea that we're the sort of smartest and we can we can rank other animals by how close they are to mm. humans. Oh, okay, um, yeah. And so on that level, like, what I kind of like wanted to agree with him. You know, I was like, oh, I'm 90% with you. But then like your next step is therefore religion and evolution are wrong. Mm-hmm. And this other aliens thing makes sense. And I was like, oh, nope, nope. You lost me. Yeah, he said, scientists have a psychological problem. They can't admit that they are not the greatest. Right. I'm like, eh. <laughs> no, that's nah. not the thing. 
So right before he spoke, they were having audio and light problems, I guess. They just dealt with it by saying, oh, uh, everybody talk to your neighbor. Tell them something that you like about the conference and, you know, how to talk amongst yourself. This was after one lady had gotten up and gotten all angry at us for still talking and told us to quiet down. And then they were having technical problems. They're like, oh, talk amongst yourselves. I'm like, great, (laughs) we'll just keep doing what we were doing before you yelled at us. Then I heard some chatter about how I guess they had had these audio problems and Eric Von Doniken said that he would not speak until they oh, fin- fixed it. That's right. That's right. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. You want me to talk? You get this fixed. Goodness, Eric. I got to chat with the 73-year-old gentleman to my right, and this was his fifth contact in the desert. Oh, he's been to all of them. So after Eric Von Doniken, we were both tired. So we went back to our RV. And we saw Cammy. Yes, Cammy is the resident pup who lives there. She was so sweet. She was a golden Labrador type doggy, real big, so sweet. She's about a year old. And she mauled Carrie and broke her nail. Oh, but, but that it was would all never worth it. ever put a dent in Carrie's <laughs> estimation nope. of her sweetness. Nope, nope, nope. She can't. I invited her on my bed and we snuggled, even though she didn't really want to suckle she wanted to play and i took a video with her carrie still got that honey glow (laughs) very good friend for cammy so we laid down i started reading i did not fall asleep carrie fell asleep sure did and we're uh, like maybe we'll go back and i'm looking at the schedule and i'm thinking oh i'd really like to maybe go to this or we could do the star viewing and i'd be like carrie you you awake oh were you yeah carrie you are you up no no okay all right <laughs> tried that quite a few times oh until, really yeah it was, well i didn't know any of this was happening until pretty late at night then uh realized yeah we, we were done for the day but <laughs> it had been a lot of information to absorb and there was much conference yet to come i didn't know any of that happened <laughs> but yeah it's going to be an exciting second day we'll learn about the science of ufos we'll see oh boy we'll see a man called david wilcock who will be david wilcock oh man he will become such a character in my life. <laughs> oh, boy. We are going to... Toke that Wilcock joint. We will toke that Wilcock joint. And Stephen Greer, one of my favorite people to not like. Yeah, those are both like our favorite people to hate. Uh-huh. Now. I mean, now that we've been to this conference. Oh, I already disliked Stephen Greer before okay. this. Well, now I love to hate David Wilcock. <laughs> we'll learn more about ancient aliens. I'll introduce you to Corey Good, who's quite a character. And then I don't want to give away too much, but uh, we'll have some pretty exciting musical experiences that will be, dare I say, out of this world. (laughs) 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 And remember, the visitors started showing up at 3 o'clock in the morning and waking me up. And when I say waking me up, their methods are, uh, they're nicer now, but at first... It was a shock to one of my toes. Uh, one night, three o'clock in the morning, woke me up. I thought, oh, holy God, I've got gout. Then I thought, well, gout doesn't shock the dickens out of you in the middle of the night. So I figured, well, maybe it was a nightmare. I'm always, I'm hard to convince, unfortunately. It must drive me crazy. Uh, so then the next night, someone grabs my nipple and pinches it like that. And I didn't just wake up. I had to peel myself off the ceiling that time. It's three o'clock again. The Dead Pilot Society podcast brings you hilarious comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Aubrey Plaza, Andy Richter, Paul F. Tompkins, John Hodgman, Adam Scott, Molly Shannon, Busy Phillips, Tom Lennon, Anna Camp, Laurie Metcalf, Felicia Day, Michael Ian Black, Adam Savage, Paul Shear, Ben Schwartz, Skylar Aston, Mae Whitman, Josh Molina, Ben Feldman, Nicole Byer, Jason Ritter, Sarah Chalk, Steve Agee, Jane Levy, Allison Tolman, Danielle Nicolette, Casey Wilson, Anna Ortiz, Lorraine Newman, June Diane Raphael, Kieran Chipka, Ed Week, Zach Knight, and Carrie Kenny Silver, John Ross Bowie, Jamie Denbo, Janet Varney, Alison Torres, Summer, Ellen Ross, Matt and many more. Listen at Matt. MaximumFun.org, iTunes, or wherever you download podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.